0: Welcome to the Zionics Podcast, Episode 1. I'm your host, Ben Caruso. How the fuck are you? Hope he's doing well. This podcast is the introduction into the Zionics brand and also the podcast and the reasons why I have decided to uh, do a podcast and, and share it with, with all of you. The first one is going to be quite deep. It's going to have some technical bits in the middle. And hopefully, um, by the end of it, we all get something out of it and you, you enjoy the show. So, not to uh, mess around any longer, in 2017, I was diagnosed with a condition called Becker's muscular dystrophy. Those of you who do know, this is not so much of a shock to you. So those that don't know, you know, sorry to just drop it on you like that, but... Uh, you know, I feel that we just need to get into it and and move this thing along. So many of you might be asking exactly what is Becker's muscular dystrophy? Well, I guess, and this is maybe where the technical bits start, there's two main types. The first one that you may all be familiar with, um, there's a charity called Save Our Sons. They are a charitable organisation for Duchenne muscular dystrophy and also Becker's muscular dystrophy as well. Now, the main two differences in those is the first one, which is Duchenne. It affects normally, well, always affects young boys. They usually first have symptoms by about the age of three. Unfortunately for these children and their families, um, they often don't, um, you know, they, they don't live for very long. They, they you know, probably to their early 20s. So it's it's a very terrible card to be dealt for those families and especially for the children. So we're here to do a podcast to bring a little bit of knowledge and a little bit of understanding to the disease. Now, my disease is similar, but usually diagnosis is around the age of 15. Now, I found out when I was 26... Well, we started seeing symptoms around 26 and we got the diagnosis when I was 27. So, obviously, no one in my family or anyone knew, so it was a little bit of a shock to everybody. But as I said, it was 2017, so we've we've had a lot of time to come together and work out some things about it. Now, the technical side of it is that the boys that get it they have what they call so in your dna right you have obviously the genes now the genes are made up of 79 exons in each gene now the duchenne oh sorry the dystrophy the dystrophin gene in the boys they usually either a have an extra exon or B, they have the exon missing. Now, once this occurs, the whole gene from that number, so it might be 44 to 46, so 45 is missing. Basically, the entire gene after that is broken. So, that's the first part. So, they completely have a gene that's dysfunctional. They produce zero dystrophin, 0%, and they, they produce none. Now. There are some remedies that they're working on at the moment, uh, potential cures as well for Duchenne muscular dystrophy, which we will talk about a little bit later in the show. Now, uh, back as much of the dystrophy, i better explain that too. I have 79 exons, so I don't have any exons missing. I don't have an extra exon. I don't have any of that in the gene. Mine is faulty, so therefore... I might, without knowing, we're just guessing here, but I might only produce 60%. Whereas a healthy person might produce 100%. Well, that's what they assume, 100%. And then I might produce a little bit less. And the the severity of mine varies. So the fact that we didn't really see any signs or trouble until I was in my mid-20s, that's, you know, glass half full kind of scenario. That's actually not too bad. I think that a lot of people find out when they're earlier and that means that they've probably been affected by it a lot sooner. So that's basically the the crux of the, the disease and the differences and things like that. It's important also in this episode to go through a few of the things things that they're working on at the moment. Now shortly I'll put up a couple of videos and also there's an article kind of backs up those videos that this is potentially something that could be available to me. So I guess the first thing is, is we spoke earlier about the Duchenne with the exon missing or an extra one. Now, scientists have pretty much a solid idea of what the gene looks like. And they're also pretty much, they know if 45 is missing, they know why 46 doesn't work is because they have a particular... A particular shape and they have to go together like a jigsaw so one of the remedies that they've come up with which i'll see if i can find a video on it a bit later is basically a they can either insert a healthy exon and then so if 45 is missing they can put a 45 in and then therefore 44 45 and 46 now operate now exon skipping another way they could do it is for example, because they know the shape, it might be 45 is missing, 46 doesn't fit, but 47 goes with 44. So, what they're going to be able to do is skip over two fault, not two of the healthy exons, until they get the pattern and the shape correct. So, therefore, they might not have 45, 46, and 47 might be switched off. But because 44 and 48 now connect, the rest from 48 to 79 will switch back on. So the gut, well, what they think they will be able to achieve with that is basically the kids will have what I've got. So therefore, you know, they're able to live healthy lives, probably live it out to their, you know, could be 60, 70 years old. You know, they could have a full life, which, you know, um, for those families and that, they'd take that. And, you know, I know what I've got, you know. People might think it's bad, but, you know, it's not the worst card you can get dealt. Like you know, there's worse cards in the deck, and you know I, you know I'm blessed every day to still be walking on this earth. So I don't think for a minute that I'm downtrodden or, you know, I don't look to the positives. I do. Basically, um, you know, I'm, I think I'm still positive. I think that doing a podcast and being open about it and telling people about it and talking about it. Um, having a discussion about it it's they're all positive things now I'll just quickly touch on the podcast so what we're going to do is you know obviously these things in the future you'd like them to be monetized or you would like them to have some sort of sponsorship and thing like that I mean Wishful thinking. I'm not thinking that far down the line, but what we're going to do is um, any any proceeds we get from whether it be advertisers or you know even if YouTube decide to monetize us and things like that, we're going to give ten percent away to charity. Uh, in 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 the long long term, I'm going to start my own uh, my own foundation called the Zionics Foundation. You know the worst thing that could have happened to muscular dystrophy is me. I'm in this fight, and this is the one that I was given, so I've got to do everything I can to to win. The brand, the clothing brand, same thing again. Um, you know, obviously, we're, we're building the brand to be, um, you know, we want it to be sustainable. We want it to be, and when I say sustainable, um, I mean so it, it continues on long into the future, and that we can build the brand you know, my inspiration for all this is um, Phil Knight. He's the CEO, well, I don't know if he's the CEO anymore, but he's he was the guy that founded Nike. I've always been a big fan of that brand, and I guess that's the path we want to go down. We want to go into um, pretty much all sports. We don't, we don't want to just pigeonhole ourselves into one thing. But that that's just the short uh, answer to what, what we're going to do. And I'm not sure if I mentioned, I think, 10%. I think that. That was a fair number. I think I think ten percent from all sales and profits will go a long way to helping. And uh, yeah, so I guess we'll move back to. Sorry for jumping around, but you know I'm just I don't have a script. I'm just winging it. I'm just putting my heart into this one. And uh, you know, obviously, also too, before continue, we are going to get guests on the show. few people lined up in the pipeline that want to come on and we're going to talk about all things health and and things that you know other things like muscular dystrophy we're going to try and bring a whole heap of them into the light so i guess um what i was going to say before is we'll go into so the big thing that's coming along at the moment is genetic engineering now genetic engineering is what you think it is it is basically editing people's genes to change things about them. I mean, obviously there's, you know, the, there's probably a lot of unethical things that people probably would try and use this for. Maybe we can touch on that a bit later. Maybe you can just send us a message if you yeah answer any of your questions. So the genetic engineering that I'm interested in is called CRISPR-Cas9. basically, It's well, let me explain something that's quite recent. You may have heard of a virus going around called COVID 19. I think we're up to Delta Omicron, and who knows what's next? Atari, who who knows? So, your Mega Drive, COVID. So, basically, how it will work well, the COVID 19 when you got the vaccine, whether it be Pfizer or Moderna, I think Moderna, Johnson and Johnson might've been the one, they used the new, well, not, they used the technology called RNA-D, which was basically they have got the COVID-19, the little, little thing that you see with the spikes on it. They basically were able to work out its DNA sequence. So when it, when it, when you get the vaccine injected into your body, this is where it gets technical. Stay with me. Basically, your body has a natural defense. So, when you get sick, so you get the flu, that bug injects its DNA into your body. Now, our body has a natural defense to that. It's how it actually cleans the, the virus out of your body. So, you've got DNA. We all know what DNA is, right? And then you've got another one which is called RNA. Now. RNA works this way when a virus enters your body. RNA, through the bacteria in your body, I hope I'm saying this correctly, basically creates a replica strand of the virus DNA in your body. So the RNA doesn't—it's not your DNA. Your DNA doesn't do anything. That's that's you. That that's who you are. That that doesn't happen. But the RNA creates a copy of the virus's DNA and then what it does it's like a it's like a word process system through your DNA when the virus has gotten into your body so once that copy is made it's able to use that as like it's spell check so it goes through your DNA and it finds all the, the sequences of DNA that this virus has put into your body and what it does is it makes a cut so it cuts into the DNA and it removes those sequences so remember you everyone's dna has got a sequence right so everyone's different but everyone's dna works the same and basically they make a cut they remove the foreign dna and then this cas9 comes in and does its thing long story short they will be able to do that like they did with the vaccine They'll be able to go into somebody's DNA like myself or someone with other things. There's there's other things like sickle cell disease. That's what the article's about later. You'll you'll understand a little bit more about that. And you know types of cancer, types of ovarian cancer, breast cancer, anything genetic that affects your body genetically. They're probably going to be able to use this across a broad spectrum. One of the hard one of the harder things about it is is that everyone's DNA is different. So one might not. It's got to be to your specification or your body. So that's that's one of the hard things. But the new technology which is this CRISPR Cas9, which they used in the COVID vaccines, this was discovered in 2017. Now there's a couple of things. These two videos you're gonna see is one's a TED talk by the inventor. Her name's Jennifer Dunda. She's from University of Berkeley in California. Another one that's pretty good to watch it's on Netflix hopefully it's still there it's called The Unnatural Selection now this documentary has got some pretty freaky stuff in it I'm not going to give it away too much because it's, it takes fun out of it so <laughs> have a look at that and uh, there's there's also a couple of sad stories in there too but a bit of a tearjerker but hopefully um, yeah, so give that one a watch and then I'll show you these two videos <laughs>
1: A few years ago with my colleague, Emmanuel Charpentier, I invented a new technology for editing genomes. It's called CRISPR-Cas9. The CRISPR technology allows scientists to make changes to the DNA in cells that could allow us to cure genetic disease. You might be interested to know that the CRISPR technology came about through a basic research project that was aimed at discovering how bacteria fight viral infections. Bacteria have to deal with viruses in their environment, and we can think about a viral infection like a ticking time bomb. A bacterium has only a few minutes to diffuse the bomb before it gets destroyed. So many bacteria have in their cells an adaptive immune system called CRISPR that allows them to detect viral DNA and destroy it. Part of the CRISPR system is a protein called Cas9 that's able to seek out and cut and eventually degrade uh, viral DNA in a specific way. And it was through our research to understand the activity of this protein Cas9 that we realized that we could harness its function as a genetic engineering technology, a way for scientists to delete or insert specific bits of DNA into cells with incredible precision that would offer opportunities to do things that really haven't been possible in the past. The CRISPR technology has already been used to change the DNA in the cells of mice and monkeys, other organisms as well. Chinese scientists showed recently that they could even use the CRISPR technology to change genes in human embryos. And scientists in Philadelphia showed they could use CRISPR to remove the DNA of an an integrated HIV virus from infected human cells. The opportunity to do this kind of genome editing also raises various ethical issues that we have to consider because this technology can be employed not only in adult cells, but also in the embryos of organisms, including our own uh, species. And so together with my colleagues, I've called for a global conversation about the technology that I co-invented so that we can consider all of the ethical and societal implications of a technology like this. What I want to do now is I want to tell you uh, what the CRISPR technology is, what it can do, where we are today, and why I think we need to take a prudent path forward in the way that we employ this technology.
2: Every cell in our body contains a copy of our genome, over 20,000 genes, three billion letters of DNA. DNA consists of two strands twisted into a double helix. A pairs with T and G pairs with C. Our genes shape who we are as individuals and as a species. Genes also have profound effects on health and thanks to advances in DNA sequencing, Researchers have identified thousands of genes that affect our risk of disease. To understand how genes work, researchers need ways to control them. Changing genes in living cells is not easy, but recently a new method has been developed that promises to dramatically improve our ability to edit the DNA of any species, including humans. The CRISPR method is based on a natural system used by bacteria to protect themselves from infection by viruses. When the bacterium detects the presence of virus DNA, it produces two types of short RNA, one of which contains a sequence that matches that of the invading virus. These two RNAs form a complex with a protein called Cas9. Cas9 is a nuclease, a type of enzyme that can cut DNA. When the matching sequence, known as a guide RNA, finds its target within the viral genome, the Cas9 cuts the target DNA, disabling the virus. Over the past few years, researchers studying this system realized that it could be engineered to cut not just viral DNA, but any DNA sequence at a precisely chosen location by changing the guide RNA to match the target. And this can be done not just in a test tube, but also within the nucleus of a living cell. Once inside the nucleus, the resulting complex will lock onto a short sequence known as the PAM. The Cas9 will unzip the DNA and match it to its target RNA. If the match is complete, the Cas9 will use two tiny molecular scissors to cut the DNA. When this happens, the cell tries to repair the cut. But the repair process is error prone, leading to mutations that can disable the gene, allowing researchers to understand its function. These mutations are random, but sometimes researchers need to be more precise, for example, by replacing a mutant gene with a healthy copy. This can be done by adding another piece of DNA that carries the desired sequence. Once the CRISPR system has made a cut, this DNA template can pair up with the cut ends, recombining and replacing the original sequence with the new version. All this can be done in cultured cells, including stem cells that can give rise to many different cell types. It can also be done in a fertilized egg, allowing the creation of transgenic animals with targeted mutations. And unlike previous methods, CRISPR can be used to target many genes at once, a big advantage for studying complex human diseases that are caused not by a single mutation, but by many genes acting together. These methods are being improved rapidly and will have many applications in basic research, in drug development, in agriculture, and perhaps eventually for treating human patients
1: with genetic disease.
0: Okay, so this is the article that I was talking about earlier. kind of brings um, all the CRISPR technology and and everything that was discussed in those videos. It it brings it all together. Um, Basically, uh, a woman in Mississippi, um, she has what they call sickle cell disease. Now, sickle cell disease is where your red blood cells um, become odd shapes. So when the blood cells are moving around the body and carrying the oxygen, because of the odd shape, the blood can get stuck in different parts of the body. And now this causes extreme pain for these people, and it debilitates their entire life because the attacks can last days. And really, the only thing they do is they clean your blood with the with the um the what is it when they transfuse your blood and then they treat it, put it back in, etc., etc. So basically what they did was they, if you can see here, um, it says about three or four months after the baby is born, a gene called BCL11A turns on. That gene tells the cells to stop making fetal hemoglobin and start making adult hemoglobin. So basically what they did was they turned the adult version off, BCL11A, they turned the gene off. So now, the woman um, makes high amounts of fetal hemoglobin again. So this gene sits in your body after you're born and it's in your body, well, who knows, forever. And um, basically the adult version of our blood is what causes this disease to affect um, so many people. So you can see there that um, you know turning off a gene, finding a gene that can replace that one works. Um, there is another article that I read further after this one. So this was 12 months, and then they did 18 months. And she um, she still hasn't had an attack or had any symptoms. So you'd imagine that, um, you know, that you'd call that a success. And she now, you know, I know that the treatments are expensive, um, but I know that, um, you know, she says later on down in the article, um, I'll see if I can just go to that section where she actually gives her point of view going on family trips and my children's graduations are things I never thought I could plan for I hope that this treatment does for others living with sickle cell disease what it did did for me which is the gift of hope well said and for people facing sickle cell disease or any other genetics disorder don't give up we won't okay so apologies about this but I actually didn't say it in the first 20 minutes of the podcast um, how it actually affects me so I think I'll just give you a quick rundown on exactly what the disease does and how it affects me so basically the underlying thing is muscle weakness and which leads to fatigue a lot of issues with with that sort of stuff so basically I know what you're thinking you're probably thinking why don't you just go shove a bunch of steroids in your cock and um it'll all be over but unfortunately the disease actually affects you inside as well so heart lungs um you know these sort of muscles also draw from the same dystrophin gene so over time it will cause problems in those areas but so far so good i haven't had many issues in the in the fatigue sort of thing the only thing really that helps me if I'm having a bad day or it's really affecting me sleep so try and get you six seven hours a night I'm pretty lucky that I've got businesses and things like that so you know some days you know I just sleep in might be till nine o'clock in the morning but I'm not setting an alarm or anything like that it's just your body actually needs the rest so if your body needs the rest then you know then, you know, I just have it one of the big things. Or if you know you're going out with friends or you know you're going to do something that's a little bit, you know, outgoing and stuff like that, usually i would try and slip in a quick kip before I go, like an hour or two, just to give me that, you know, a little bit of a boost, things like that. So on the um, muscle weakness side of it, now where it has problems is... Obviously, your motor skills. So, walking up and down stairs, walking up a gutter, walking up a ramp, getting up from a chair, getting up from a, the lounge, getting you know all those sort of things. Getting up out of bed. That's where it affects you. So a lot of the things we do with physio, which hopefully if I get Maddie on, he'll be able to tell you a little bit more about it. A lot of things are just functional, big movements. So, you know, little things like, you know, when you train. Legs, for instance, we do a lot of leg press and, and sleds because sleds actually is probably one of the better ones because it makes you use every single body part in your legs as a functional movement. So when you're pushing, your calf muscles are on, your hamstrings are on, your your quadriceps are on, you know, you know everything, your hips are on, your ass is on. It's all functioning in the one movement. So therefore, when you're getting that fatigue, you're actually worked everything and it's functional too. Because you're pushing something and you're moving, like it's a functional movement, it's a functional exercise. So they're really good. And then we do like little tweaks here and there to help me out. So one thing I had an issue with was my hands or my arm on this left side. So when you go like that, you can rotate your hands out. So this hand was going all the way around and this one was getting stuck about there. So we started doing some little small exercises, just tweaking the bicep because we think we might have ruptured it or done something wrong. But this is in the last six weeks. So I've now got full rotation. I got full grip and all these grip and everything's coming back. So I know I just spoke about not doing isolation stuff, but if now that that's like, there's still a lot of work to go, but now that that's coming along, It's going to open up the doors for more exercises and more things I can do where the grip was letting go. But I'm now starting to get it and that's all the work with the physio. So can't stress it enough that they've helped me a lot. And then hopefully I can uh, start putting a bit of weight back on um, these arms of mine. Um, (laughs) So hopefully um, that's that's all happening. And um, I guess secondary issues too, like I've got sleep apnea because of... The obviously the pressure of the muscles, they can struggle to breathe at night time and things like that. When I say secondary, I mean I could like I'm not blaming it on the disease, but I think definitely you can say that it's contributed to it in some way, shape or form. So you know I, I you know I don't mind admitting all that stuff because you know I think that honestly you'd be surprised how many people do not sleep properly whether if your partner or yeah if your missus snores the house down chances are they got sleep apnea and they need to go get the test I'm telling you they will not know themselves when they use one of these machines for the first time they will wake up going who is this person so yeah if you're a big snorer or someone can point it out to you I think you should just go and get the checkup if you if you don't have I think it's worthwhile because sleep so important to everybody not just me but everybody so I think you know, have a listen out if you recommend they go get it and then if they get the machine trust me you won't hear them snore ever again so also to uh, take testosterone replacement oh funny story about that I got on to the testosterone because of another podcast I'm not going to say any names but he's a baldy like me and he's American but and I think he commentates on the UFC. I, I can't remember his name. Uh, he was talking about it on uh, his podcast, and she go and get a checkup. So with the sleep apnea thing, go and get a checkup. Go and get it checked. Trust me. Because when I got my testosterone levels checked, we went to all the physios and spoke to everyone about it. They said it's because of your condition. Another secondary one where you can't lift heavy weights. You can't, you're not doing so... It was affecting me not only physically but it was affecting me mentally a lot of anxiety a lot of depression I wouldn't say i have depression i'm saying you know just not i don't know i don't want to call it depression but you know not not thinking clearly and as soon as i got on this stuff i'm telling you 100 percent. i you know i was really good guys i think you know yeah get to the sleep apnea go get all your blood tests get them all done um, everything, majority, 90% of things can be fixed these days. Um, so, um, I suppose that's a little bit of advice that I would pass on to people. So anyway, my story. So I was going to the gym and I was training three or four times a week. And I know what my strength levels were. I mean, I was never, I was never super strong or anything like that. I was never naturally gifted in the gym or anything like that. Like I always knew my level. So like in this case, I was doing squats and I was struggling to get, you know, deep into the squat. So I thought, at first I thought it was my back. I'm thinking, oh, I've done something to my back. Obviously it's just, you know, anyway. And then I went and sat on the leg press machine and I, you know, I think usually I could do what, 50 kilos, whatever, whatever it was. And I know that that particular day I dropped it. I dropped it again. And I dropped it again and again and again and it got down to about 10 kilos and I still couldn't do it. And I'm thinking, no, nah, that's fucked. Like, there's no way. Like, something's wrong. So they were. that was probably the first sign. And then little things like getting in and out of, the, out of like our boats and all that sort of stuff started to get a little bit harder and that was kind of... But in the meantime, I went to a physio and they... Did all the tests like you know? You do all your hip resets and doing all that. And in the end, they sent me for a um, CK level, which measures enzymes in the blood. Now, I got the test results back, and your normal range. Uh, don't quote me on this. I think it's like between like 160 and 250. So if you're below, there's something you're not getting enough if it's more. Now, my level was 2,860. It's all the enzymes from the muscle that when you're exercising, come out of your muscles, through the blood, clean through your liver, through your kidneys. And that's normal. So if you go run a marathon or you play a game of football, those levels are going to spike, but they're going to come back down. And then once that level comes back, then obviously they send you to a specialist and the whole Morale of finding out about conditions and stuff starts. And I want to get back on to Jennifer Dunda's video, the TED Talk. She mentions in there that a Chinese scientist managed to do this treatment with an embryo. Now, that is highly illegal. It's against the law to actually do that. So he was, like, there was international outrage from the medical institution because this guy did it. Now, I know for a fact China obviously is its own country and I'm not sure about its laws. I, I didn't actually look into it, but that in the United States, in Australia and UK, etc. I know that doing that to an embryo is, uh, you know, it's against the law and they deem it as unethical. But obviously the reason why is because, you know, they don't want the whole, I want blue eyes, I want blonde hair. They don't want that to clog up you know i guess it's to clog up the medical system for shit like that you should be happy that you're able to have children and you can have kids like that should be the blessing that's a blessing enough you know also i think you know people might want michael jordan's free throw you know you'd be pissed if you got shack but um <laughs> i guess people are going to do shit like that to you know that that's why it's outlawed the other one um, that she also mentions in there is about the Philadelphia scientists that with the HIV. Now, I, mean, I guess ethically, we all agree like, oh, well, I agree anyway, and hopefully you agree with me too like, cancer, HIV, muscular dystrophy, sickle cell disease, um, you know, anything that's genetic that we can fix. I'm sure that most people would be. You know, pretty open to accepting that as let's let's do it, let's let's get it done. But I think the aesthetic sort of stuff, you know, I think you know it's inevitable. People are going to do it. Uh, people are going to find a way to make them taller, make them blonde, make them. But again, Congress and the Australian government and the British government and everyone needs to sit down and say, look, this is what's legal. This is what's illegal. You get busted doing something illegal, you face the consequences. It's no different to robbing a bank or, you know, selling drugs or whatever it is that you, you know, criminal act. Like, people do it. I'm not saying they're not going to do it. And I'm not saying people aren't going to get away with it. I'm just saying that, put the writ, like, there's got to be risks involved in people that are going to do that. But I think they've already done it. I think they, they've already done it in, like, the Ukraine or something like that where they've actually done what they call a a three-part embryo or something where they put part of an embryo from the mum and then part of the embryo from the dad and then they're able to put, you know. So actually it wasn't for aesthetics. It was for, um, so these people actually couldn't have children and this system that they use is actually illegal as well. But you'll see in a couple of documentaries or that's out there that Doctors pretty much through IVF are able to almost do the eye color and stuff. They inject certain genes like or certain samples that they know, okay, this one's got a high percentage. So it's not guaranteed, but they basically can already kind of do it. I guess, what else? Ethical. Yes, sorry, I was talking about the HIV. So Jennifer Dunda talks about this HIV treatment that they did. Now, what they did was they got these cells out of them, out of mice or a rat and this rat was born with HIV now they applied the CRISPR technology to it and they basically the cells did not have HIV so they've done it at the cellular level they haven't done it at human level and what they also did after that was they injected HIV into those cells again and the cells rejected HIV so people suffering that blood disorder or people out like that's that's wonderful and I hope that they you know and also too in other nations and around the world they've still got problems with it Um, still got you know uh, especially through Africa and that so they could possibly eradicate it so yeah there's a lot of positives out there there's a lot of things happening and moving you know I think that we need to make sure again that Governments and health, they're all on the same page and they're all doing the same stuff and they know exactly what they can do and what they can't do. I think that's the first thing and I think that's the key. Otherwise, you're just going to have people running around and it's just not going to have a focused attack and a focused, you know, outcome that they're after. So, yeah, and in, the, in that documentary you watch, they do some, it's not funny, but it is funny they do some stuff to some animals that like, they don't hurt them, but they just look funny, but I'm not going to ruin it for you. So you have to go and have a watch and uh, don't worry, you're not going to hell if you laugh. It's it's uh, all part of science. It's all part of helping people. So yeah, so check that out. I guess I'm just going to wrap it up there. I think there's going to be plenty of opportunities for me to talk about a little bit more. Before I do go, I have a few people I need to thank. Firstly, and obviously, you know, I need to thank my family and a lot of my cousins and a lot of my friends that have um, been fully supportive of this and um, encouraged me from the beginning to do it. Thanks for watching and um, I'll see you down the road. Take care.
1: Goodbye.